Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. You don't have to look too long or listen too long to figure out that Dean Miller is his dad, Roger Miller's spitting image. Hilarious and talented are just part of what makes Dean such a great hang. From acting on stages in Los Angeles to singing and playing on stages all around the world, Dean is showbiz royalty. And I'm also glad to say he's one of my friends. Here's Dean Miller. Dean Miller, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. Thank you so much for being here, man. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Bart. I appreciate it. <laughs> why is that funny? I don't even know why that's funny. Oh, no, it's just your your smile and your voice just makes me happy. That's all. It just oh, does. that's very nice. That's very, thank you. That's a very nice thing to say. Shoot, yeah, man. So, how, how was your day? You had meetings. I know you're a you're a star songwriter, singer, producer, everything else. Yeah. The the. Uh, I, I've been producing a lot of projects lately and like today was one of those days where I was doing one thing after another and some days are, it's feast or famine and you know, when I'm working, it's really nice and I try, I try to take as many projects as I can. I don't know, the producing thing has been going pretty well lately and I also have been releasing some music and doing, I I just decided when I hit a certain age, I'm I'm not going to define my life. I'm just going to do stuff I like to do. Yeah. So I write songs, I sing, I produce, and I train dogs. And those are the things I love. So I just do those things. You know? <laughs> it's a lot easier when you aren't, when you aren't uh, trying for big results. You just do it because you love it. It's a big yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Um, not to start at the beginning, but where, where actually were you born? Um, in a hospital, I think. That's uh, good. But, That's um, good. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, I was born in Los Angeles, California. Okay. okay. Um, my dad lived there. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles my early childhood. And then I moved to Texas with my mother. And then I moved to New Mexico with my dad. And then uh, back to LA for college and various screwing around in my early 20s. And then I moved to Nashville to try to be a, a star at 25. Well, you just, uh, I guess I can cross off about the first nine questions here. <laughs> well, that's just, uh, that, yeah, that's a, a little synopsis. Um, but, so it's, um, and I mean, I, obviously, it, it's, it's stupid. You're, you're from such a musical family, but are, do any of your other siblings play or sing or anything? No, my dad was married three times, had seven kids. Uh, my dad was Roger Miller um, and, and had a successful music career. And, uh, and I am the only one. I'm actually Roger Dean Miller Jr. I'm the only one with his name. I look like him. I sing. I play music. I write. But none of the yeah. other six kids do, do any of that. They wow. don't play music at all. My brother uh, plays guitar and drums, but just for the fun of it. He doesn't want to be in the music business. And so the rest of them don't do it. It it sounds dumb to even ask this, but how did how did you get into singing and playing? Was it because of your dad? Well, 
Um, when I was young, I knew I wanted to be in entertainment or I, I really loved movies and acting. And I, I studied that for a long time, but I was always writing songs just because it was fun and I enjoyed it. And when I got into college, I was studying theater and acting, but I met these guys who played country music and we started playing in a band together and we started writing country music. And as I got more involved in that, I got less interested in the acting and the movies, but I was really in intimidated to try to do it for a living because uh, I was intimidated by my father and I well, just I was, thought how could I go ahead no no I was going to ask you do you remember the first song you you sang or wrote and did you did you play those early songs for your dad and and were you nervous about that or was he was he just your dad Yes. I'll tell you, you know, I, I would write these little songs and they were terrible. And then I would go and say, <laughs> what do you think of this? And he'd go, well, you know, the bridge needs work and this doesn't, this doesn't rhyme and this and whatever, you know, and like my first songs and he would really talk it through like that. And I would, and I would just, you know, I was just blossoming and learning and it would just really make me, you know, clam up because I was really intimidated. But he used to say, if I tell you you're great, and then you go out in the world and fall on yeah. your face. I'm, I'm not doing you any favors. So he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you constructive criticism and I'm going to give you advice. Um, and, uh, and he was right. He was also, when I moved to Nashville, he said, I'm not going to make any calls for you. I'm not going to set up any meetings. I'm not going to do anything. Wow. He said, the one thing he he said, the one thing you can do is you can use my name. And he said, that's going to open a lot of doors for you, but I am not going to help you because he said, if I do that, you'll always wonder yeah. if something happens, if it, if it happened because of me or because yeah. of you. And he said, if you want to be in this business, it's very hard and you're going to have to do it on your own for it to mean anything. So, well, you were in LA till you were 25, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I you was. were, mm -hmm. And you were, uh, I've been listening to your podcast, The Dean's oh, List, which is I'm great. Oh, so sorry. No, I love it. Thank you. But you were acting in, in plays and stage shows and everything. And, 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 and you were obviously, like you just said, you were, you were writing country songs and, and everything. It's like, how did you decide, okay, I got I to gotta, I gotta go to Nashville? Okay. Well, I... Uh, I, I was, like I said, I was really intimidated, but I started working with this band and it just felt really, I felt really on fire about music. Yeah. And I, we did these, we did these demos and we got in the studio and I thought I, it was just like something clicked and I thought I'm addicted to this. I love this making music and especially in the studio. And I was a weird God thing or whatever you want to call it. I was in a play with this guy that um, was about to move to Nashville to work for a new record label at the time, this is how old I am, Arista Records was going to open an office in Nashville in the I've 90s, heard of early 90s. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I know people there. And he said, I'm going down there for fanfare. If you go down there during fanfare, I'll introduce you to everybody at the label and all these people and stuff. So, you know, I came down here for five days and just hustled around and met people. Man. And I thought... I thought this is for me, man. This is this is where I belong. I I I felt like in that in L.A. I was just struggling. I was working two jobs and just not happy at all. Yeah. And I came here and I thought, well, even if I don't make it, I gotta try this because if I don't, I'll always wonder what would happen if I tried. So, so did I, your did your dad still live in L.A. at this time? He lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe. Okay. Um, he had moved. 
he had moved out of LA to try to, to be honest, to get away from the drug scene and the show yeah. business scene. He was heavily immersed and he wanted to just get somewhere out in the country and remove himself from all of that. So was there ever a, a going through your head that you could get into country music and stay in LA or did you just know after you came to fanfare that this is the place you had to be? Um, I liked the idea of the sense of community here that like mm-hmm. you could just go around and meet people. And, and I thought it was so unusual that people would say, you want to write a song together? You want to go to have yeah. lunch? Do you want to go do this? There's a feeling here that in the, in the music business at that time, it was very different than it is now, but yeah. there was a camaraderie and there was, a, it was a, almost like a small town feel to it. And I used to say it was deceptively mm. accessible. You could meet everybody. It didn't get you any closer to success, but you could meet everybody and hustle your way through and, and actually, you know, be part of it all. And in L.A., it just felt cold to me. And you and I are, are almost the same age. I'm older than you. But back in those days, the, the music business was about 14 square blocks. And that was that's it. right. And so yeah, that's right. So you talk about that's right. Meeting everybody and hanging out and hey man, you want to go write a song? Because I have got an office. That's right. One block over. That's right. And and there was a real sense of we're all kind of doing this together, and you could meet people, and it was uh it was like a fraternity sort of, yeah. you know. And and it, it doesn't feel that way to me anymore, or maybe it's because I'm just I've just aged out of it. But no, uh, I I I feel the same exact way. Yeah, it it, it doesn't feel. Um, you know, it feels real disconnected right now. Yeah. I don't I don't feel that same kind of uh happy fire that everybody had at that time. Mm, that's a good phrase. Yeah. So when you got here, um I, I I assume you like you said, Hey hey dude, do you want to write a song? Who'd you start writing with? Um, this is really an interesting story. The first person I met here that I got to be close friends with was a guy named Sean Camp. Oh, and man, Sean yeah. Camp went on to become become a huge writer, but we met at the Bluebird Cafe sitting at the bar there. And uh, we just became fast friends. And he knew everybody. And yeah. I just, by hanging out with him, he'd say, you want to go to this studio? You want to meet this guy? You want to go to this thing? You want to? And in like, I felt like in, in two weeks, I'd met everybody in town because I was just hanging out with Sean Camp. I just felt like he was like the ambassador for me to, to everybody in the music business. And there was a real novelty of like, you want to meet with Roger Miller's kid, you know, and I would get yeah. meetings but frankly, I sucked at that time, you know, and I would go into these meetings and I really, I thought I was better than I was. I really did. I thought, oh, well, I'll just come into town and get a record deal and I'll be a big star. And I, and I realized in five minutes that I was stupid and naive and, um, and there were people who were better than me. And, um, and so, you know, I heard a phrase many years ago that I've stolen and used ever since. I hit the big time and bounced right off. <laughs> I mean, I really feel like I, uh, I, I, I was close. I met everybody. And then I kept, I would start to get opportunities, but they just, somehow I, I dodged that big brass ring. So when you say, <clears throat> excuse me, you met people that were better than you, did you, did you know they were better than you? Yes, immediately. Because okay. I would go, I came to town going, oh, I got this batch of five songs and right. they're excellent. Man. And then I'd, <laughs> you know, and then I'd meet, 
somebody like, uh, you know, I remember at the time I was just, I was getting to write with these really amazing writers yeah. and then they'd sit in front of me and I'd go, oh, well, I'm definitely not that good. I'm, I'm definitely not that good. See, cause, so, cause I mean, don't, but don't you think that as a, as a singer, songwriter, producer, actor, juggler, hand model, whatever. Yes. Dog trainer. Yeah. What? Dog trainer. Dog trainer. There's, there's yes. always <laughs> somebody better and. That's the only yes. real way to learn, right? Is to, to, to write with better people than you, play with better people than you, sing with better people than you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's very humbling, and not everybody's willing to be humbled like that. No, but I learned really fast. And then my dad, while he was still alive, was giving me advice, mm. um, but he just wasn't, wasn't going to make it easy for me. He, th- yeah. he, he wanted it to mean something to me and he was very wise about stuff like this he wanted me to know that if i accomplished something that i had accomplished it instead of it yeah. getting handed to me and uh um, i love very that. wise about that yeah yeah so, so I, I could go to him i could go to him and i could say do you have advice or how should i write better or what should i do and he would be totally there for that would he write with you or did he write with you well, that's an interesting question that you said that. Um, we wrote one song together before he died. And um, I never did anything with it because I just thought it's just sitting there. It's, it's emotional. I don't know what to do with it. So I, I actually kind of forgot about it, put it away. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was on a session and I said, I'm just going to record that just for me to have. Hmm. So a couple of weeks ago, I recorded it and now I have it in a fully formed kind of way. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But one time we wrote together one time and we finished one song together. Did, did, and this is just goofy writing Bart, but did he, did he just write with you or did he like, was it, uh, was it a, an equal thing or was it a father son thing or was it I'm better than you thing? Or I said, I said, I had, I saw this movie and I think it would be a great title for a song and the movie was called wild hearts can't be broken mm. and i said that to him this is 1991 or something and i said uh that and he said yeah that'd be a great song and i said you want to write it with me and he said sure and we just sat and we wrote half of it and then a couple days later we came back and wrote the other half of it Man. and i learned a lot from that experience because what I used to do was I would sit in writing appointments and there is this pressure to get it finished. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, let's just get it finished. Come on. It's almost one o'clock. Come on. Just finish the song or right. you feel like you've been thinking too long or I don't know. And you, you kind of, <laughs> you set, you settle for lines, you settle for stuff Yeah. and he wouldn't settle for stuff. Dude, that's and great. he just, he would just sit there. He'd sit there and he'd kind of zone out and I'd watch him zone out and look off and I, and I'd go, what about this? And he'd go, no, no, and he'd just sit there. He wouldn't explain it, but I thought I I got something out of that. What he was doing, you know, and um, and I'm There's just also, happy to have that. No, go ahead. I'm happy to have that song because it's a memory of that mm. time. But it's also um, a, the words and everything are kind of an education to me in how to write. Ah, it's awesome. Yeah, there's yeah. some guys that you you spit out a line and they go no. And they don't right. explain yeah. anything, but you really don't respect them enough to go like, well, right. what, what, what would you say? Give right. me your line. And then they got nothing. But when you're, well, my, t- dad, 
But when you're riding with Roger Miller, you kind of go, eh, okay, you just sit there. Well, yeah, and, and he was not one to co-write, so I think it frustrated him to co-write. That's a great people. point. And so when I would suggest something, he'd go, oh, like I was interrupting some kind of flow. Like, yeah. so, uh, he'd go, oh, no, 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 and I'd wait. And then I just realized if I just wait, something cool will happen. Yeah. So I, I learned a finessing about co-writing that, that day. Dude, there's a lot of writers in, in our town right now that are that way. That Sometimes you just need to shut up and get your hands on the uh-huh. keyboard and just wait for them to spew out that next line. And just get out of their way. And sometimes, I mean, we've said all the time, you know, both of us as co-writers, you know, sometimes you're going to write 95% of the song. And the next time we write, you're going to write 95% of the song. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you just got to get out of the way of the song. And that's just part of the humbling experience of co-writing. And that's just, that's just reality. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. And the other thing that goes back to what we were saying earlier in, uh, in Nashville, that sense of camaraderie, when you go into a room and you start writing, there's just an unspoken thing. We own this 50-50, yep. and it doesn't matter if you wrote more or I wrote more or whatever, but there are people in other factions of the business who say, no, I wrote this line, and I wrote this, and I get more percentage and all that Dude. kind of stuff. Yeah, there, there's the Nashville- Nashville- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, the Nashville way is just more to say 50-50. We're just doing this together. Yeah, there. I've written with mm-hmm. rock guys that will underline words, and then at the end of the day, yeah. they they count up the words, and that's the percentage they get. And it's like, oh, dude, that's not that's, cool. That's just rude. I think it's rude. You know, it's rude, but also I don't think you're writing for the for the best song. You're writing for your percentage. No, you're right. You're right. So then, after right. you started, after you started writing so much, were you? I mean, how long did it take for you to really? want to get a record deal did your publisher want you to get a record deal or did i mean how did that all come about i wanted a record deal more than i wanted to write i felt like i was writing to to try to be a star i had really shallow aspirations when i came to nashville (laughs) and i got are we allowed to cuss on this podcast absolutely I i got my ass i got my ass kicked by this town I just was like, okay, just let me write some songs and, and just, I just want to be a famous star. And I was so stupid. I was so naive. And um, I was constantly, I did deserve it. (laughs) And I, and it, it took me, I got my first development deal on Capitol Records. I was here four years and I got that. And then I was there three years before they let me even put a record together. They they would have me cut one song at a time and do all this (sighs) crazy stuff. And then they kept me there three years, did nothing with me. I've had three record deals. The average length of them were three years long where they did nothing with me. And <laughs> who, the last signed, record. I'm sorry, go ahead. I keep interrupting but, you. I'm sorry, but, dude. I'm not, no, I could go on and on about these. These stories are boring, but the, the, the first record deal was with Capitol Records. Who signed they you? Kept, I was signed by uh, Renee Bell at okay. Capitol Records. Okay. And then they, fought, they fired her, right. and then a new guy, Scott Hendricks, came in. And I've heard of him. I guess I guess enough time has passed. I can tell everyone he didn't like me, but other people at the label did, and so they fought to let me make a record. I made a record. I turned it into him, and he said, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Now I like you." So then I gave him that record, and then they fired him. And so then a new guy came in, and he didn't know anything about anything and whatever, and and he let me stay for a while, but then he got rid of me. So then I spent another three or four years without a record deal. Then I got another record deal 
I mean, I was fighting to be on MCA, but then the head of MCA was moving somewhere else. These are all business things. I don't know if they're interesting to people. But yeah, they're at, they they are, absolutely to- are, yeah. Okay, so I was on MCA Records, and a guy named Tony Brown, who's a legend in the music business, yep. took me and said, if, if you'll just wait a few months, I'm going to start this new label, and you can be on it. So I went over to a new label. So technically, I guess I had two record deals there. And then I went to the new label, and he made this record with me and, and Brent Mayer, and we made this record that was um, – I think it's great, but they never put it out. They never did anything with it. And then they just dropped me after three years. So I spent three years at each label doing nothing. Oh my and, then, and then I said, well, I'm going to go into other stuff. So I started working as a publisher. I started producing things. And then this guy at Koch Records, which was an independent label here or whatever, they said, do you want to make a record here? And I said, yes. Yeah. So I made a record on Koch Records. And they actually shot a video, picked a single, had this whole release date and everything. And two weeks before my release date, they uh, sh- they closed the Nashville label. <sighs> so they closed that label. And I got so uh, beat up by this music business. I said, I got to figure something else to do with my life for a while. I, I got to stop running up on this same treadmill and yeah. going nowhere. So I started training dogs because I love dogs. Yeah. And I didn't. I, I didn't want to do music anymore at all. And so I went and trained dogs. And um, I mean, I, uh, I learned, I taught myself to do that. I invented my own method. And then, but I just kept writing these songs and I had such a pile of songs and I realized that, am I rambling or is this okay? No, this is awesome. Yeah, no, this is great. Cause this okay. is, this is the real stuff. Okay. So I truly gave up on myself. I mean, I really had a hard time in my late thirties, early forties. I gave up on myself. I didn't believe in myself or music at all. I didn't do music at all. And I probably spent seven or eight years not even doing anything with my music. But I had this pile of songs because I'd been writing these songs. And I said, you know, you're the only one not, not trying. Hmm. So I, I, I came back at it with a new, well, I came back at it with a new attitude, which was I'm not going to go to Music Row and I'm not going to ask people for permission to make music. And the technology was changing. You could put out your own music. You could do your own thing. And yeah. I just stepped to the left and started making records for next to no money. And um, I figured, you know, it, it occurred to me that a lot of people, you know, Vincent Van Gogh died without ever t- selling one piece of his art. And I thought, well, if I at least make the music, maybe somebody will find it after I'm dead and somebody will go, hey, that sounds good. (laughs) But he also died without one ear, so he may not have thought your stuff sounds good. Right, but how many A&R people do we know that have no ears? So, And they've done just fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so I just make these records and I just don't do it for the result. And and I just, I decided to make my life happy instead of thinking like I'm, what, what, I'm yeah. going to wait for happiness to come find me or something. Because I was getting bitter, man. I was getting really bitter. Well, like when you were doing radio, I mean, back at labels and everything, you you did the whole radio tours and all that stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. And, so and this is, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Music business at that time, there was more money involved. There wasn't streaming and it wasn't all that stuff. Exactly. 
And they would take big chances on people. They'd go, well, let's, let's put a bunch of money into this guy and see if it works. So I'd make a record. They'd go sit, send me out to visit every radio station in this country. And then I'd come back and they'd go, well, nobody, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You know and then it'd be all that wishy-washy stuff. And I'd think, well, what are you spending the money on this for? Why are we spending all this money and then you're not going to do anything with it? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get that at all. I wrote, yes. I wrote down here, <laughs> how did you deal with the radio tours considering your rather sardonic sense of humor? <laughs> <laughs> well, because um, you probably have the best sense of humor of anyone I know. And, and that's really nice. Obviously, I, I, I got myself in, I got myself in trouble a lot <laughs> because either the jokes went over people's heads or the right. people would make me mad and I would just go for it. Like one guy at a station <laughs> in uh, Oregon or Washington or something, he's asking me on the air, you know, why didn't you have your father come and sing on the record with you? And I said, because he's dead. And it just killed the interview, you know? It just killed the interview. I mean, it just really, I didn't care. Or one guy goes, I understand your father did a lot of drugs. And I said, well, that's an appropriate question. You know, I would just come right back at him. And then, and then I, they, they're not going to play my record, you know, after I do that. So, (laughs) so so then it's off. Let's go. Right. Right. So, or, or, you know, you can imagine sitting, you know, I, people who don't know, you go to these radio stations and then you sit in a conference room at lunch or something and you oh, sing gosh. and you try to get, it's like, please like me, please like me. Maybe yeah. you'll see something about me that makes me play my record. And you play these rec, you play your songs and then maybe they pay attention or they don't, or they eat pizza while you're singing in their conference yeah. room. And then I'd sing something off the record and I'd go, this is my single. And then they'd go, sing King of the Road. Sing dang me or something. They would, and I'd go, holy God, you know, like I'm here trying to get you to play my record, you know? Well, it, it, yeah, I I don't know that anybody can really understand the struggle and the disappointment of, of a promo tour until you're out there like that. I mean, when I got diagnosed with (laughs) mind blowing uh, high blood pressure, me and Jeff Steele had just been out, and we did uh, 27 radio stations in five days. And oh, it's like, what? Yeah. And we, when you're doing that kind of stuff, you re- I mean, yeah. it, it's just hard to understand that, you know, and then, and then and also that now you, you're up against your dad. You know, and so there, there's all this other, uh, oh man, it's, it, it's really, people don't want to think the music business is hard because you're just out there playing songs and yeehaw. It's, it's hard, man. It's really hard. I don't know if people really understand. And I don't know if they, do they still do it the same way? Where I don't you know get either. You rent a car and you drive around to radio stations. It seemed, even at that time, it seemed like a primitive way to do it. There's, it seemed like there should be a better way to do it. Yeah. You know? But um, I remember we would, they try to get as much out of you as possible. So they'd yeah. have you fly out Monday through Friday and you'd fly to sometimes three cities in a day and get in a rent a car and drive and drive and drive. And you're <laughs> trying to get to as many radio stations as you can cover in a day, starting at six in the morning to 10 at night. I mean, I remember getting to Thursday or Friday and I would be singing the same three songs that they wanted yeah. me to sing. 
and I'd be going, am I on the second verse? Am I on the first verse? Is this Utah or is this New Hampshire? Where am I? I don't know what's happening, you know? And, um, and the same things over and over because they're cramming 15 cities, like you said, in a week or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and, and people think if I just get a record deal, I'll, be, I'll have it made. And if people yeah. only understood, that's the beginning of a whole new journey. It's the very beginning. You know, it's, Do you know Rob Dalton? He, he was at Epic Records. Yes. Okay. Yes. He and I, when he was at Epic, I was at Monument. We we wrote mm-hmm. a uh, a four page little booklet said, "So you got a record deal?" And then he said, <laughs> <laughs> and it said, "Now the work begins." And it was uh, exactly. And we gave it to our new artists of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. here's what's next. But but anyway, but anyway, but anyway. So let's let's delve for a sec into your into your dog training man because i've Mm -hmm. i've seen you work you've you've worked with our dogs and Mm -hmm. i've i've loved watching that can you tell us about like what you do and 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 i don't even know how to explain what you do well uh when i was leaving the music business for a while i thought i've got to find something i love as much as music but i can't keep i got to take a break so I thought I love dogs and what I said, well, I have an instinct for this because I knew I had an instinct or a yeah. thing with dogs. And I just started at the very bottom rung. I mean, I don't know how many people know this, but I was working, you know, minimum wage jobs and cleaning out dog kennels and working mm-hmm. at facilities because so I'd gone from record deals and radio tours and playing the Opry to can I cuss on this thing or not? Absolutely. Can I cuss on this? The more cousins. So the then I'd go. Yeah, so then I went to go into dog kennels and clean out dog clean up dog shit at six in the morning and you know, supervising that kind of you know, dog after dog, but I did it to learn, to really yeah. learn about dogs. And I knew that most people would go to PetSmart or something and learn to sit and stay and sit around PetSmart and I thought people don't want that. They want to call somebody and say, My dog is tearing up the furniture, ruining yeah. my life. And I'm going to get rid of this dog if you don't fix it, right? And I thought, if I could come to your house and fix that fast, um, people will want that, <laughs> that service. And, you know, the dog whispered Caesar Milan was having success at that time. Yeah. And I thought I could do that. And um, so I just started learning and teaching. And, and I watched, I would watch dogs. And I'd say, how do dogs sort out their problems? And then I just developed methods that are based on the way dogs sort out their problems. And, and then I took training advice from lots of different places, but I I've been doing it 15 years or something now. And I'm just, I've got a thing for it. I just got a thing for going because dogs are very simple and direct. And if you address them where they are, they're easier, they're easier than you think they are to communicate with. So, I mean, I, I've seen you work and it's, it's pretty crazy. The relationship you have with dogs. Can you, can you always help? Or are there, are there some no. pups that are just broken and, and well, just like people, you know, I, I always say with dogs, the language is the same, Okay, but the dogs, but the dogs are different. Their personalities, mm-hmm. some are de- defiant, some are shy, some are abused, some are, you know, they have all different personalities and ways about them, but the language you communicate with them is basically the same. Yeah. So I go in in the lesson and I kind of show you how to communicate with them, but then I tailor that to say, well, this dog needs more sensitive touch. This dog needs more Hmm. firm 
assertiveness. Right. Um, but there are dogs, but just like a person, you can have a screw loose. You can have a mental thing or you can be uh, just like, you know, I had a dog last week that was so defiant. I've never seen anything like it. This dog would just sit <laughs> and dig in, not aggressive or anything, but this dog right. would just go, I'm not doing it. I'm yeah. just not doing it. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not that it's insurmountable, but there are dogs that it's, that are tougher than others for sure. Mm. And so one of the biggest questions is dogs fight and they'll say, make my dogs get along. And I'll go, well, I can't make you like everybody. I can't make your sure. dog like this other. <laughs> we can, we can, you know, we can control this to a certain yeah. degree, but I can't make them love each other. That's not, you know, I don't know. So I can't make them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe this is a good point to say I've written a book called A Dog's Way, available on Amazon.com. Well, there you go. <laughs> See? And November is known as the, the Gratitude and Giving Month. Are there charities okay. that you are super fond of that help with animals yes. and help with dogs? Yes. Well, I like to work well, with I'd love to talk charity. about those. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we're suddenly out of time. There are local charities. I, I like to work with local charities because, first of all, uh, there are a lot of rescues that use me as their trainer. Oh, and, cool. I, and, rescues, and rescues are always suffering and in need because they're, they're on the front lines. And um, the last thing people usually think of is how much money a dog rescue needs. But yeah. I would highly recommend two places, a, a place to bark and um, – Proverbs twelve ten. These are two rescues I work with a lot, and they um, they do great, great work, and they're always in dire financial straits. But the people have such good hearts, and they save thousands of animals. Wait, okay. Uh, then, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A place to bark in Proverbs what twelve ten? Twelve ten. Proverbs okay. twelve ten. And awesome. A place to bark. These are these are places I just love what they do, and. Um, you know, um, a place to bark. Let me just tell you what I, this is run by one woman named Bernie Berlin. And, and she's just a hero to me. She literally goes once a week on Friday, which is euthanasia day. Mm. And she goes into Gosh. these rural rescues and she walks through and she says, I can get that one adopted. I can get that one adopted and I can get that one adopted. And she pulls the ones out that she feels she can most likely find a home for and she loads up a van and she drives them to Chicago, which is a place where they, if you can believe it, there are places where there are shortages of dogs, where people want dogs and they, they have a better attitude about, you know, the, about at dogs and adoption. Yeah. So she has a, a deal there and she hauls dogs up there every week and, um, uh, and saves these dogs lives. And she does it. She's a one person operation with a staff of three or four. And she has saved thousands of dogs. It's Man, amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't mind getting back to music, um, no. I mean, that, that's awesome, dude. I'm that, that's great. I love a place to bark in Proverbs 12, 10. That's awesome. But I love mm -hmm. your new record, 1965. And, mm -hmm. uh, I like when you say it's the kind of songs I want to hear. <laughs> Yes, it is. I, yes, it I stopped is. making, I, well, you know, a friend of mine uh, said something that I just love. He said, I'm tired of making my music for seven people. Mm. My co-writer, my co-writer, my publisher, and, uh, and the five people he pitches it to before he gives <laughs> up. 
And so I, I'm tired of making my music for those people. And I just make this music that I think I like this and it's good. And now we have an outlet through social media and everything. I can find my little audience and I can be, give this music to them. And if you don't like it, scroll on, go listen to something else. Yeah. But I, I, I'd like to think there are a couple of hundred people who might be loyal to this music and like it. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just making this music. I Did you write it. these songs all by yourself or who'd you write with? Yeah, I got really uh, mad at this thing that the music business does where they say everything has to be co-written, you know, right. and, uh, and then I started really thinking my heroes, uh, my dad, Chris Christopherson, these people yeah. wrote by themselves. Yeah. They just went in a room and made it up. And I just thought, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to, I just want to, I'm old. Okay. So at this age, I just want to be, I want to be happy. You know, the, the clock is ticking. I don't want to postpone my happiness to say, gosh, if something just happens, oh, I hope I get a cut or a record deal. And then otherwise right. I'm going to be miserable. I just get up every day now and go, I'm going to train some dogs. I'm going to make some music. I'm going to work in the studio. And I just do things I love. And that's been a happier way to live. So do, you like, do you like writing by yourself? I like it more than writing with other people. Really? Um, I do. I, I, uh, I used to like the co-writing process. I've grown to not like it. I don't know mm. why. I don't really have a reason for it. I feel like it's like uncomfortable dating now for me. I feel like I'm sitting on an uncomfortable date when I write. Well, maybe and go, you and I can get in, in your house and you can write in that room and I'll write downstairs. And, and we'll, if no, you I, get into my house, I'm calling the police. <laughs> uh, no. I no, hate yeah. writing. I hate writing by myself because, not that any. I mean, we all have a crap load of ideas and and riffs and whatever. I I I never know when the song's done. It's very oh. frustrating to me. So okay. you have you have a, a, another gift that I don't have. Well, that's that's nice of you to say, but really, I'm not musically educated. I can't read music. I don't know anything about music theory or technicality. I'm just like a kid finger painting, and so I just go by feel or some kind mm. of vibe, and I go, I go, okay, this feels like a beginning. This feels like an end, and this feels like a, a song. Right. And I kind of go, and I and usually I'm just standing around my kitchen humming mindlessly and then it'll start i'll start to go that sounds like it should be a song hmm. and then i and then i just go form that into a song but i don't know what i'm doing i really don't know <laughs> i really don't well was there a real inspiration i mean 1965 i'm guessing that's around when you were born that is the year i was born <laughs> yes. and i was thinking i long for that that era of the cool clothes and the cars yeah, and man. The smoking and the glasses. There's a very yeah. short period that was the coolest Johnny Cash kind of thin suits and everything that I just really have an affinity for the music, all that stuff of that little five to 10 year period. And I just wanted to write a song about it. Even the cars, um, the cars, all of it, you know, and I, and I also put a line in that song back when country songs were good, because I feel like we have sunk into some weird period where, I mean, one out of 50 songs is good, you know. Do you, do you really believe that? Or, do you, or like you said earlier, do you think guys like you and me, did we just age out? I mean, and I'm not trying that, that to be derogatory. Be no, that may be true. I feel like I don't 
connect to some things about younger people, but I produce young people. So I listen to what they like. I listen to why they like it. Right. I try to connect to that. And then I've tried to stay relevant in like at least learning how records sound and stuff. Now there are huge exceptions to this, you know, like Billie Eilish, you know, is nothing like me or anything of my world. Right. I recognize the quality in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for the most part in the country music world, we are just, and they've always done this to a degree. They flood the, the waters with mediocrity. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like we're at a really yeah. weird time where they, they set a drum loop. They start singing over it. The structures aren't even like real songs. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> and, um, but then, you know, in was the that the hook? That, was that the chorus? What the crap? The hook? <laughs> they don't even think in those terms. They go, and I hear people say these weird things. Like I, this is the old guy in me, but I'll go. They'll, you know, a lot of the artists will go. I made a song, and I'll go. You made a song? Are you four? You know, you write a yeah. song, right? But no, I made it on my computer or whatever. Right. But, um, but then to me, and 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 here's where I'm an old guy who doesn't care. Like, I don't care if that's a huge hit or something. I don't, it doesn't touch me in any way, Yeah. but then in the sea of, in the sea of all of this are the Jason Isbell's and the Chris Stapleton's and the people that just leap out. And, and, you know, one of the ones, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think Eric church is one of the greatest writers we have. Yeah. I think he's great. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think as a writer, I just really admire him. Um, and, uh, uh, he's a guy that when I, I wrote with him a couple of times and when I wrote with him, um, he would sit in front of me and I would say, this guy is on another level because he would think of things and say things that I thought I can't even write. I can't write like that. He's great. I wrote about him a couple of times. You did. You did. <laughs> no, you know what though? The most, one of the most disappointing things to me about what you just said about like Stapleton is as soon as he hit and, and we've all known Chris for 20 years, 25 years, 20 years, as soon as he mm-hmm. hit and went through the roof, everybody's going, okay, here it goes. Real country mm-hmm. music, real country songs. Mm-hmm. This is going to change mm-hmm. everything. And then nothing mm-hmm. changed. Right. And it was because just the- more of the same, blah, blah, blah. And I was so bummed out about that because I was hoping that too. More honest production, more real instruments, more real songs, you know, and, and less tracks. And that's just me being an old fart. You know, I, I don't, that's I don't, it, right. and, and, and I know I'm, I'm cranky to the nth degree, but I was hoping for more of that kind of stuff. You talk about Jason Isbell and, and stuff. And I was, I was hoping more of that stuff would get on the charts and more of that stuff did not get on the charts. No, no. Because years ago, Tony Brown said something to me that really helped me in life. And it's, it is proven to be true. And it's made me less disappointed in people <laughs> that he said this. <laughs> he said, I, I was talking to him about, um, you know, I had made some of these songs when I was on his label and I had cut all these songs and I said, should we take the rough mixes and play them for people at the label so they get excited about it? Mm. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. You never play something unfinished for people. He said, because you always have to remember, people have no vision. Wow. And I thought, and I went, 
oh, you know, the artists, the creative wow. people, the people like us, we go, oh, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. But the guy at the radio station in Peoria, Illinois, who's programming or the, mm. you know, whoever's making these decisions, they don't have vision. They're thinking about their mortgage and their car payment and their whatever. And so they're not trying to find the next big Chris Stapleton. They're just trying to hang on and not make a bad decision. He so, may have also been talking about people within the record company. True. True. Hmm. Because uh, they don't know, it, you know, they could not make that Chris record, that Chris Stapleton record happen. If you remember, they could not get it on yeah. the air or done or play. Justin Timberlake made Chris Stapleton's. I mean, but, gave him the launch. Yeah. Gave him the, the the avenue to the millions of people. The Tennessee and, whiskey, and, right? Right, and they did yeah. the CMA awards, and suddenly everyone went, "Oh, I knew it all along," you know, you yeah. know, because. Uh, but um, people don't have that vision before it happens. I, I've had this joke for years. Um, uh, my favorite music business quote: "It's like I never told you you're going to be huge." <laughs> Which also, my other favorite one was, uh, what do you think of this song? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm only the first one to hear it yet. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or this is a true story. When I was on MCA, a guy came up to me at a party and they said, uh, this is Dean Miller. And he said, oh, Dean Miller, I've heard I'm supposed to like you. Oh, God bless. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he said, yes, you are. I say you are absolutely. Don't you forget it. Oh my gosh! So, you this nineteen sixty five record. I mean, this age of COVID and and whatever. I mean, how are you uh, going to promote this record? I mean, are, I mean, I, I I know you're not expecting millions of sales, but I mean, is there touring? Is there videos and and whatever? I mean, I've listened to the I, whole record on, online. It's freaking great. But how, what are you going to do? Sorry, I keep interrupting you again. You. Well, I have decided not to care about the result. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but uh, you, we make ourselves miserable by going, oh, if it just gets on the radio, oh, if it just gets number one, oh, it, and I've gone, you know what? I'm going to create for the sake of creativity. Yeah. And then I, I get on. I try to follow the kind of guidelines of post stuff online and, and get on your social media and be interesting and be funny. And, um, you know, I've done a couple of promotional things where I spend a little bit of money to promote it, but I I'm under no delusion that I'm 25 years old and new to this. Um, frankly, I'm, I, I'm creating and letting the promotion part of it either I don't know. I mean, I promote it to a degree, but I'm trying not to make myself have ulcers about promoting. I'm trying yeah. to just be creative, put it out there, talk about it on social media. I started a podcast so I could talk and be, maybe be out there with stuff. The, the, the other reason for the podcast is my friends always say you have all these stories about the Dude. music business and childhood. And so I thought, well, I want to archive those. It's an yeah. archive to, to have them. <laughs> those stories because they're going to fade as I get dementia. But, but like also another thing that I do is um, I make videos. More I, dementia. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty into the video making thing and I'm yeah. beginning to edit and do all these things myself. So I'm just like a kid finger painting. And if somebody wants to look at it, great. I hope they do. Well, you do have, but I'm already, I'm already, go ahead. No, you, you're already what? Oh, I'm already making a new EP. I've already got three songs cut because I've just decided to just keep 
putting stuff out and doing it. Did did so, uh, you and I write any of those songs? No, I write everything by myself because <coughs> f everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, you do have uh, some amazing stories growing up around mm-hmm. not only your dad but Willie Nelson and Christopherson. Mm-hmm. Is there a is there ten or twelve of those you'd like to share with me? Sure. Um, let me think of one. Uh, I've got I a couple of, that but, you've shared with me, but but they're your stories, and I don't know. If would you like to refresh my memory? One of my favorite ones and uh, <laughs> was you said you and your dad, or I'm sorry, not you and your dad, your dad and Glenn Campbell used to hang out a lot in L.A. Yes. Yes. And they were at a bar, <clears throat> and there was an L-shaped bar. And mm-hmm. Glenn was on the left side, and your dad was on the right side. And he looked down the, the bar and saw a guy sitting there. Mm-hmm. And your dad walked down the bar and tapped the guy on the shoulder and said, uh, Hey, you know what I have down there at the other end of that bar? And the guy said, What? And he, <laughs> your dad said, I got a list of guys whose asses I'm going to kick. And guess what? <laughs> And he said, what? He goes, your name's at the top of that list. And the guy stood up and he was like 6'5", 265. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Roger goes, you know what I'm going to do now? And he said, no. He said, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to cross your name off that list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, I don't remember telling you that, and I don't remember that story, but you told it's a me great that. story. That it's probably true. <laughs> there are so many, I forget. That's a great one. Oh, I love that story. Uh, I thought you were going to tell the story about my dad was sitting at a bar uh, <laughs> with his friend, not, not Glenn Campbell, but, and this guy walked up and tapped his friend on the shoulder and said, uh, are you Roger Miller? And his friend said, no, try the next stool. And <laughs> Um, but no, this is um, no. But in the middle of that, I was thinking of um, <laughs> oh, I've got so so many things I could tell about my dad. You know, he he said I'd give my right arm to be ambidextrous, which I love. <laughs> um, he was just always always on and brilliantly funny all the time. Um, he one told of me, my favorite. Hmm? Go ahead. <laughs> he told me about his uh, wedding invitation to his third yes, marriage. Yes. Yes. Please, you tell uh, tell that, please. Well, he was on his third marriage, so he was going to print the wedding invitations to say, uh, you are invited to the wedding of Mr. and Mrs. Roger Miller III. (laughs) 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 Which didn't go over well with his wife at the time. But but so, no, but one time, I love this story, my dad was... um, in Nashville and some guy came up to him and he said, Mr. Miller, Mr. Miller, I have all these songs that I've written. And he started pulling sheets of paper out of his pocket. And he said, I have all these songs I've written. It would just mean so much to me. If you just look at them and just tell me what you think, just please look at these songs. Just, you know. And so my dad took the papers and he kind of shuffled through them a little bit. And then he took a pen out and he wrote C plus and circled it, handed it back. <laughs> yeah, all that's my childhood right there. 
So one of my also favorite stories was uh, you and I wrote together at Disney one time, and you pulled this national acoustic guitar out. Yes. And I was like, what the crap is that? And you mm-hmm. said, have I never told you about this guitar? <laughs> I went, no. 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 And you said? Well, and I said, um, <laughs> well, my dad was in rehab with Willie Nelson. How many people get to say that, right? Okay. So my, and this is so long ago, it's, I can tell oh, it now, yeah. but Willie... Willie and my dad were in rehab together. They had this agreement. If you clean up, I'll clean up. You can imagine trying to clean Willie Nelson off of marijuana. That was not going to happen. But so they go into this rehab and Willie brought two guitars for them to pick and play and have something in the, in the rehab to play on. And about three days into the rehab, Willie uh, called his then girlfriend uh, to uh, sneak outside you know drive up in the driveway and willie snuck out the window in the middle of the night and took off but he left the guitars behind and my dad kept saying willie i have your guitars and he'd say yeah yeah i'll get them yeah i'll get them he'd say i have these guitars don't you want your guitars yeah yeah i'll get them and he never got them and i started they were sitting around the house and i started playing this one and i really loved it Mm. and i played it and played it and uh it's a early 60s it's a hybrid. It's a, the body of a Gibson guitar and the neck of a national, which they made for a very short time. Yeah. And I yeah. just love this guitar. It sounds great. And I yeah. told my dad, I loved it. And I said, and he said, you can have it, but if Willie ever asked for it back, uh, you have to give it to him. <laughs> and so then after that was when Willie had all of his tax problems. You remember? And they, oh, yeah. they, they took all of his stuff and auctioned it off and all this stuff. And I just remember thinking, um, I'm never going to tell anyone. I'm going to hide this. So I probably committed a felony tax fraud uh, <laughs> on the government by not revealing I had Willie's guitar because that could have paid off some taxes, you know. But I, um, yeah, so I have the felony guitar still, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the side note to that story, I'd never seen one before, and I could never get the information about it. And one day I went into Gruen's guitar store here and that's the big guitar store in Nashville or was at the time. And um, there was a guitar hanging on the wall, just like it. Wow. And I'd never seen one. And I went up to the guy at the store and I said, what is that? Can you tell me about it? And he told me the whole history of it and the year, I think it was 60, uh, 63 or something. And um, he told me all about it. And he said, that's on consignment for John Fogarty. And I went, so the only time I've ever heard that guitar, John Fogarty wow. had one. He was, he was selling it at Gruen's. <laughs> Weird story. So, yeah. Well, do you, want to, uh, do you want to do my lightning round? Yeah, what is that? Uh, it's, it's, I'm just going to flash a, a question at you, and you just answer as fast as you can, unless you need okay. to think about it. it it's really okay. easy. Okay. <clears throat> What's your favorite book? Uh, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Nice. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower, definitely. Nice. I feel like I'm sitting in my own filth when I'm in a yeah. bath. See, that, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or I'm sitting in someone else's filth, depending on it. Well, never right. What's the, last, what's the last gift you gave someone? Um, herpes. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, um, no, that Again? is not true. I do not. 
Uh, the last gift I gave someone. I'm, bl- I'm drawing a blank. I'm, sh- I'm sure I've given someone something. Knowledge? Um, wisdom? Knowledge, coffee? Yes. Uh, I was going to make a dirty joke. I won't. Um, the D. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, edit that out. Um, no, I uh, I can't. I'm I'm blanking. I'm sure I've given someone something, and I'm just not thinking offhand. I'm All sorry. Right. I'll come what's back the, to that. What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a T-shirt? And with you, Roger this should Miller. be okay. Yeah. Roger Miller. I don't know how old I was, and I got thousands of T-shirts over the years. So uh, you know, All yes, right. that's honest. The, the, you, the, the, the first, the first real concert I probably saw was one of his friends, and I don't remember who, but I would have gone and seen country concerts by the Dutch. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Do you do you collect anything? Um. Well, I used to collect dogs until I got out of hand with it, and now I just have one. <laughs> Do you um, really only have one? I only have one dog. I've had a lot of dog deaths over the last two years, and mm. it really did a number on me. Yeah. And I had this weird thing. I thought, I want to know what it's like to have one dog that is my best friend that I can take everywhere. Because what, I, what happens when you have three dogs or more, you can't take them places. It's just yeah. a giant hassle. And yeah. I thought if I have this one pal, I can take him everywhere and go on adventures. So I'm giving this one dog thing a shot for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I collect coffee mugs from different interesting things. I like to collect coffee mugs. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've got a coffee mug for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you have any other cool guitars? I uh, Let me see. I have a I have one that I love and uh, and it's the strangest story. I always wanted a Gibson J45. Yes. Um because I always thought they were cool, right? And um I don't know what I found one online and I sight unseen just bought it and said send it to me, you know. And it's the best sounding guitar I ever had. Like usually people, you know, we're all fanatical about, I have to hold it and feel it and hear it and it's got to fit me. And it's got, and I, this one time I just went, ah, just send it. And it's the best guitar ever. I just love it. (laughs) And I just happened on it. Yeah. So during this time, we've all been binging TV shows. What's your favorite TV show to binge? Ooh. I have so many great TV shows. I love Fargo right now. I'm watching oh, Fargo yeah. with Chris with Chris Rock. Did you watch yeah, that one? It's freaking awesome. It's pretty amazing, man. Yeah. I love that one right now. Um, Chris Rock is phenomenal. Dude, in that it, you, you, it's, he's so good that you forget it's Chris Rock. You forget it's Chris Rock. Absolutely. Which, Absolutely. which is high, high praise. Yes. Yes. Um, what's the favorite song you've, written or sang on whether it was a, a a hit or just something that just means the world to you mm, that's a good question um i really love a couple of things i, I know writers say the last thing i wrote or whatever but i wrote yeah. something a few weeks ago that i cut uh, for like a new ep or something and i felt like when i wrote that i thought i've hit a new level of writing that i haven't been able to hit before that's great and so right now right now i'm in love with that song that one song but in general in the past i've loved a song of mine called dreams um that trisha yearwood sang on on my mm. first record i'm kind of proud of that song it's not little toy trains 
Well, I didn't write that, but I love that oh, song. Okay. My dad wrote wrote that. My dad wrote that song for me when I was two. Um, <laughs> Still one no, of my I, favorite songs. <laughs> thank you. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. Maybe you can sing it to me while I'm drifting off to sleep. Oh. <laughs> I'll sing that at your funeral. Wait, wait, whoa. Oh, whoa, nice. whoa, whoa. Whoa, hey. So what hey, song ho. what song do you wish you would have written? I mean, and I know that's Ooh. an impossible, like from Amazing Grace to the National Anthem to whatever. I mean, well, there's Well, I always had I ha- I used to have this fantasy and I thought it would make a great movie, and then they made a movie with exactly my idea. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could time travel and go back in time and say, Here's a song I wrote yesterday. All my trouble seems so far. I wrote that. And I thought I would just claim to have written all these great songs. <laughs> um I thought you were gonna but, say uh, swamp thing. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I I was gonna say achy breaky heart, but I really didn't. Um, I didn't know. Um, I, yeah, I I think uh, yesterday is pretty up there. Yeah. My I think one of the best songs ever written is Vincent. That song is one of the great. You know, Starry Starry Night. I think that's a song. Oh. I think is incredible. <laughs> so, what are you listening to these days? Between dog training and and writing and producing, what are you listening to a- just to shut your head off? I have a weird, sick obsession with the music, not the music of Jason Isbell. I, I listen to other things and then I return to the Southeastern album that I think is a work of mm, art. Yeah. And I listen to other things and I go back and listen. To that. I just, it's a touchstone for, I think, one of the best albums. In my mind, of, I just love that album more than yeah. anything in the world. But recently, I've gone on a nostalgia kick and I've gone and listened to stuff that used to really mean something to me. So right now I'm on a crowded house kick. I'm listening to crowded house. all the time, Dude. <laughs> Freaking wooden face. Yeah. One of the best albums of all time. Man. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And <laughs> yo, I've been, uh, I've been like trying to learn some of these songs on the guitar and I'm like, a, I feel like I'm in college again. Cause that's when I really started loving that record. And yeah, uh, what- I love crowded house. Oh my gosh, we used to own a studio and mm-hmm. Wooden Face was the reference CD every time. Here's how it sounds and here's how your music sounds. And, oh, That's right. That's right. Gosh. Right. Right. But I love I love Four Seasons in One Day. Some of those songs, you know. Oh man. Better be home soon. Love that stuff. So outside of Dean's List, the podcast, how can people find you? How can people look at you? See pictures of you. <laughs> in Everything <your> <laughs> on Instagram is at Dean Miller Music. Twitter's at Dean Miller Music. Everything except the Facebook is at Dean Miller Page because somebody had already taken that at <sighs> Dean Miller uh, Music. So, but it's at Dean Miller Music. You'll find it all. Everything is linked through everything else. <laughs> um, Instagram is where I feel like I'm the most active. Like I, uh, I try to do the most things. So that's I think I, that's. I, where you're most attractive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, it's just real easy to do a short thing and put it up there. Yeah. And I like, and I kind of like Instagram. So, all right. I like to watch fight videos where people beat each other. <laughs> oh, that's great. You can find anything. Here's a dude fighting anything. a donkey or a whatever, a goat fighting a kangaroo. Right, Here we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
Oh my gosh. I saw, there's a thing I'm really into now. I'd hate to digress, but there's a thing called crime faces on, uh, on Instagram. And this guy just finds footage of actual fights, but he narrates the fight. And his narration is so well-written and so brilliant that I just, I really get into that guy's writing because he <laughs> writes these beautiful things about the fights. <laughs> oh, shoot. I know what I was going to ask you. Sorry to okay. digress again. Sure. But you, you're a, uh, You've got a video with you and Chris Christopherson in it. Yeah, for a freaking yes. great song. And um, how do you deal with with being friends with somebody that's like like an absolute hero? And did you ever write with Chris? No, okay. I I just I've known him since I was three years old. Okay, I wouldn't. All right. I wouldn't say we're. I wouldn't say we're close, but I would say that there are four or five memories in my life that mm. are just stunning about what this person is. Um, he's a hero of mine personally. He's yeah. a hero of mine as a writer. Uh, he's lived 10 lifetimes in one. He's been a Golden Gloves boxer. He's been a, a helicopter pilot, a West Point uh, teaching appointee, a Rhodes Scholar. All of the things he's done... That's the life I'd want to live. And then movie star on top of it. And he has a swagger when he walks that I think when this guy walks in a room, I go, that's the coolest guy in the room, man. And he was a publishing company janitor. That's right. Seriously. So he's been from here to there. I mean, that, which is pretty awesome. He's a guy that I think had an inner compass that it didn't matter to him. Like he, he gave up yeah. West Point to be a janitor because he knew where he was headed. Mm-hmm. And that's really one of the heroic qualities to me about that guy. Yeah. And, and there's one thing I want to always mention because no, nobody seems to talk about it, but there's a movie called Lone Star that he was in. And it, it's with Matthew McConaughey before he was famous and Chris Christopherson. And just, it's, it's a great mm-hmm. movie. But Chris Christopherson plays a racist killer sheriff. He's a very bad guy in this movie. And he is so good in this movie. I want everybody to see him act in that movie. It's so mm. great. He's so great. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry it's been years since we've hung out, man, but let's, uh, let's, let's do this once again, please. Thank you so yeah, much for being part of this, man. Absolutely. I've had so much fun. I, I forget how much I love hanging out with you and, <laughs> and let's definitely never do that again because yes. it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, I never told you you're going to be huge. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I love you, dude. Thank you so much, Dean. You I'll too. talk to you soon. I Thank hope. you, Bart. All right, I hope so. And uh, let me know when and where this posts because I want to hear it. No, this will never be on. All right, see you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You know how much I like to listen to myself talk, so just let me know when this is going to be on. (laughs) I'll put a little cassette into your pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Okay, good. Thank you, Dean. See you, brother. Thank you. All right, bye, Bart. Bye.